Hi, I'm Amelia Richardson-Dress. I am a pastor, I am a writer, and I am a lover of big questions. I'm always eager to explore questions about spirituality and justice and the complex way that these things work together. With that in mind, a couple years ago, I hosted some workshops I called Talking to Kids About Tough Topics. I had experts come in to talk to adults about how to talk to kids about two key issues. First, we did race and racism, and then we did sexuality and gender diversity. And when we say gender diversity, we're referring to people who are trans or who don't identify as either male or female. They are non-binary. And I knew from my work with parents and teachers and my own personal experience that many of us grew up in households where these topics were either not talked about or they were talked about in toxic ways. And what's apparent to us now is that if we're going to continue to build a world of justice and equality, we're going to have to figure out how to have these conversations better than we had them when we were kids. So in the wake of those workshops, I decided to do some interviews with experts to help us further explore the how and the why of raising kids who can carry on the work of social justice that I believe is a central part of Christianity. Today then, I'm talking with Dr. Bethy Leonardi about LGBTQ equality and justice. We're gonna hear about her work with A Queer Endeavor, the group that she co-founded with Dr. Sarah Staley to help teachers build inclusive communities in their classrooms. And A Queer Endeavor is based out of the School of Education at CU Boulder. One of the questions that sometimes comes up for parents is about the appropriateness of talking about same-sex relationships and gender diversity with children. And so I'm going to take the opportunity to ask this question of somebody who is an expert in kids. We're also going to talk about how straight and cisgender people can be better allies. And we're going to talk about the importance of getting uncomfortable when we're doing the work of justice. All right. To start with, can you tell us a little bit about the work that Queer Endeavor does? Yeah. So a Queer Endeavor was, um, we have been around since 2014, and we are... Um, part of the School of Education at the University of Colorado Boulder. And what we do is work with school districts, schools, educators, university teacher education programs to support educators learning around topics of gender, family, and sexual diversity. And when I was on your website, one of the things I noticed is that you draw these distinctions between an environment that is safe and an environment that's affirming. And I know you're working towards affirming right. in the school districts. So I wonder if you can give us an example of some differences between those two things. Yeah, so that's a good question. A lot of times uh, conversations around LGBTQ youth, I think, tend to um, focus on like, bullying, anti-bullying, um, statistics related to harassment, and um, these really, you know, safety is sort of the, the uh, dominant discourse around LGBTQ youth, which is really important. We want to keep kids safe, but... Uh, and we, um, you know, our, our goal is not to um, make sure that kids survive. <laughs> um, it's that they thrive. And so we like to think of safety beyond external safety and, um, you know, what kids experience through physical, mental, emotional um, danger and kind of think about um, this sense of internal safety. So um, ways that kids understand themselves and who they're becoming, um, how they feel on the inside um, and that really begs us to move beyond just anti-bullying measures and, and policies and really um, address a climate and a culture that um, is ready for and not reactive to LGBTQ um, people. Hmm. I'm, I'm wondering about that 
in particular, I was at Safe Schools Coalition meeting last night, mm -hmm. and one of the things that came up is that often environments that think they are affirming are not, are not perceived that way. And so, as a church, I'm wondering what some of the markers of a truly affirming environment might be. Yeah, I mean, I think that, that it's complicated because, you know, we, as a group, LGBTQ people are not like this monolithic, you know, what, what's affirming to me might not be affirming. For example, you know, the practice of sharing pronouns. Mm -hmm. So nowadays um, in college classes and, you know, in schools, and we often um, um, support educators to understand students' pronouns. And, you know, I read an article this morning by a trans um, academic who was like, we have to stop doing that. You know, and so what's affirming, to, and, and my trans students have historically thanked me and been like, that's so important, thank you for honoring pronouns and making that public, but for other trans people that might not be um, affirming. And so that's what makes this, this work complicated because it's not this, you know, here are best practices, now scale up. Right. You know, we have intersectional identities, you know, what's affirming to a white cisgender lesbian might not be affirming to a trans woman of color. Um, and so I think that that's what complicates um, these conversations. And I think one of the ways to, I mean, you have a congregation, and so um, you get to be in communication and collaboration with them. And I think um, creating an affirming space doesn't, it's not on, it, it, it might even be inappropriate for it to be completely on you. Um, you know, I think it's created, especially in a place like this, um, together. You know, how do we do this? What's working? Um, Who's, who is it on? You know, is it on allies, accomplices? Is it on marginalized people to be part of that conversation? Um, does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's not an easy answer, so that's no. kind of a bummer. And it's constant. Yeah. I mean, it's this fluid, you know, what, what used to feel good, for example, the pronouns, mm -hmm. that was something that was like, quote, unquote, best practice. And now, you know, one of the arguments made in this article that I read was, you know, um, people are doing pronouns at the beginning of, say, a semester, and that's all they're doing. And so the only attention to gender and the complexity of gender is this one beginning activity that's kind of spotlighting, you know, in, in many cases, uh, gender diversity and not cis people. And the more that's, that's happened, the more people have realized, like, wait a minute, maybe this isn't the best practice. And so we have to be willing to be self-reflexive and critique our own practices even though you know, when we land on something, it's finally like, oh, good, okay, you know, <laughs> right. figure that one out. And then, no, you know, it's not working for some people, so what do we do? Yeah. That continual reflection reminds me of where you list your three areas of focus on your website, and that self-reflection is one of them. Mm -hmm. um, is that the kind of work that you're thinking of there, that continually looking at and re-examining our practices or is there internal work that you're thinking of there yeah I mean we think that this this work starts with the personal you know we focus and support and hang out with a lot of educators who you know have historically been under supported around topics of gender family and sexual diversity throughout teacher education programs any training to become a teacher haven't been provided with professional development in fact I think historically we've been taught not to talk about gender and sexual diversity as teachers. You know, it's something not to do. Um, and so, you know, many teachers have been in the field just kind of doing what's quote unquote normal status quo, which um, means not addressing gender and sexual diversity and family diversity. 
and when they start, you know, um, learning new ways and unlearning old ways, um, it's often a painful process, mm-hmm. and um, you know, a lot can come up: uh, resistance, you know, denial, um, guilt, shame, you know, all the things that come along with recognizing that things that you've been doing maybe positioned your students as like other or mm-hmm. have hurt them. And most educators, I'd like to think, we are big fans of educators, um, want to do right by kids. And so recognizing like, oh no, you know, you can walk into that and be like, okay, let's do this. Wow, I can't believe I've missed this. Or, you know, it might, a lot of resistance might come up. And so the critical self-reflection piece that we focus on um, in our facilitations, we really uh, make space for that. We, every facilitation that we lead, whether it's the first one or the 10th one, we always have some kind of grounding activity that speaks to that critical self-reflection and then makes space for that to happen. Yeah, we think that that's key. And then as a group, the other piece of the, the you know, the practices and, and you know, what are, we, what are we doing as a collective? I mean, that's important too, but we really, the self-reflection piece for us is um, individual mm-hmm. and in community. Yeah. Right. What are, I'm curious about some of the practices then that you do with a group, because I, that work sounds like what I always call hard inner work, like, yeah. that's tough stuff, and so, mm-hmm. like, thinking concretely, mm-hmm. how do people work through some of that, either in a community or individually? Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, we name it, mm-hmm. so um, we're, we read a lot of, we read a lot, <laughs> and one of the, um, one scholar who we really draw on a lot is Kevin Kumashiro, and he talks about, um, in particular, um, you know, pre-service teachers, people who are becoming teachers, when they start to realize that they're part of oppression, mm-hmm. um, what he calls like you know learning and unlearning, that they're complicit, that they go into what he calls crisis, and um, we 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 see that a lot in the work that we do, and um, so we name it from the start, you know, and this might bring up discomfort. Mm-hmm. And what you do with that discomfort is really important. And we just want to name that that's something that a lot of people feel doing this work. And you almost see this sort of, you know, mm-hmm. like people are feeling it and you named it and they're like, okay, so this is, a nor- this is okay to feel, you know, um, especially students. And they talk about crisis. They use that language after we, we've named it. And so we name it. That's one of the practices that we that we use. And then one of the things that um, that we do is um, in in the very first session that we lead with a group, we um, draw on this quote by Gloria Anseldua, where she talks about how the struggle to change what's outside of us is often starts inside of us. Mm-hmm. And then we do a little um, it's not really an activity, but a conversation around um, vulnerabilities and strengths. And so. You know, we name, you know, we're all coming to this work from different places. And so some of us are very new. And the conversation might be fumbling around in your mouth and you're scared to say the wrong thing. The language is changing. You don't know what words to use. And we name that and say, you know, if you're in that boat, we invite you to lean into what might feel like discomfort. And we're going to try to create with you all a soft space Mm -hmm. to explore that. And then others of you... This is like exactly what I say, right? <laughs> like I know it by heart by now. <laughs> um, others of you, you know, live these identities. You know, you're part of the LGBTQ community or you have family or friends who are you're close to, who you love, who are part. 
of a community and with that comes a lot of strength but there's a lot of vulnerability in that too like conversations about equity and diversity and justice land on different people's bodies in different ways mm -hmm. so if we're talking about race in a mixed group of people that conversation is going to land differently on people of color than it is on white people mm -hmm. and as a white person in that conversation I I need to know that what I'm saying might have an impact that I did not intend. Mm -hmm. um, and then other people are doing this work all the time, and we always say, you know, if you're flying in with your rainbow cape, you know, um, awesome, and you know, show up like that. Yeah. You know, for you know the colleagues, your colleagues in here, and also there's always more to learn. And so then we walk them through, you know, with all that being said, you know, um, let's think about. You know, what vulnerabilities are you bringing? What strengths are you bringing? And then what might the other vulnerabilities and strengths be in the room? Mm -hmm. Kind of start there. And so we use the vulner vulnerabilities and strengths exercise to norm the room. Uh -huh. You know, like this is what's here. Remember that as we're talking. Simple. I love that. It feels very powerful in a community. Mm -hmm. um, and it's also, it's kind of, it was affirming to me to hear you say people struggle with that. And I think of teachers as being so on top of everything. Mm -hmm. And so when you're saying, oh no, a group of teachers <laughs> struggles with these mm -hmm. conversations. I think in a lot of communities, people don't want to hurt other people. Yeah. And we are afraid of using the wrong words or saying the wrong thing. And so we don't say anything, mm -hmm. which I, I think is the opposite of what you're suggesting that we do. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of encouraging in a way that maybe all of us struggle with. Yeah. And I think it depends on the space too. You know, um, when we say that, you know, this conversation for the queer community is going to feel different than it, mm -hmm. than it will for people who are newer. And something that we think about a lot is like, you know, who, how do we create a space where the most vulnerable person in the room is, sa is safe mm -hmm. uh, to be there um, and can participate in a way that's enriching for them? So in other words, you know, we, in our... Um, in our teacher education program, you know, we're like a program that focuses on, you know, justice. And so we talk about racism, classism, homophobia, and we have conversation, like, how do you have a conversation about racism and white privilege and have a couple of students of color in the room and have them be enriched by that conversation instead of the conversation being for white people? Mm -hmm. How do you have conversations about queerness, about transness, that's not just for cisgender and straight people? Right. And that's something that I think is a constant puzzle for us um, how do you have rich conversations in a diverse community in ways that feel good <laughs> right. to, to everyone there and, and not good like right. you're going to feel uncomfortable <laughs> but you know good like a growing pain for some people and then for other people like okay we're this is moving we're moving here mm -hmm. this is this is a good conversation I'm glad I'm here and I think that's it's really hard to create that space yeah I think so too we talk a little bit about that um, around race in a recent conversation, and, and that same struggle of making the most vulnerable person feel um, affirmed mm -hmm. while recognizing that we're not all in that place. It's tough. Mm -hmm. And it's not, you know, I think as white people, for me, as a white person, mm -hmm. like I have to do a lot of, it's on me to educate myself. And it's on me to be prepared to have those conversations, um, mm -hmm. you know, and not expect you know, that space to be the be-all, end-all of the education that I'm getting if I want to be part of conversations like that. Thinking about that in particular, are there resources that you would recommend for parents, um, maybe especially straight parents, as they are working on this for themselves or as they're helping their kids grow into affirming gender and sexual diversity? 
But I mean, I think kids' books are a good place to start. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the reason why, like one of your questions is about talking to kids, you yeah. know, and that kids might feel uncomfortable or it might be too early for them. And it's interesting that we think that about queer identities and families, but we really, we really don't think that because we do talk about gender and we do talk about sexuality and we do talk about families and kids are fine. Yeah. They know. <laughs> and, you know, from day one, they, they know who their families are, mm-hmm. whatever those families look like. From before day one, they know what pink means yeah. <laughs> and what blue means um, in this wacky world that we live in. And so, you know, this, this idea that kids are too young to have these conversations, sometimes we get that a lot in the work that we do. And we have to remind educators that the books you read, the conversations you have, the pictures you have your kids draw, they are about family, which is sexuality in, mm-hmm. in a lot of cases, and they are about gender. So when we say, you know, it's when we say that kids are too young, what we really mean is that, or the question really is, are kids too young to learn about people like me? Uh-huh. And that's kind of knocks the wind out of you sometimes, yeah. you know. Um, the frameworks that we've given kids to understand who they are, who they might become, who other kids are, who other kids might become, have been very limited. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I have students in college who, you know, come out in college and say, I really never knew that I could be this person. And so the more that, the more we diversify the frameworks that we give to students to understand the world that we're in, the healthier all people will be, I think. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking one of the differences around conversations around gender and sexual diversity compared to, say, race or even classes that we may be creating an environment for a kid to grow into who they are differently than right. race, which is maybe more apparent, um, culture, those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. So, And I think that's what scares parents so the so the difference that we found between um well there are many but um conversations around race and racism and um first is that you know a lot of queer kids and queer adults were raised by straight and cisgender parents and so we don't share our marginalized identities with the people who raised us mm-hmm. and what that's what that too often has resulted in is um, being marginalized or oppressed by the people who are supposed to love you the most, mm-hmm. which makes schools and educators, you know, sometimes the only supportive spaces and adults that a kid will have mm-hmm. um, in a day. So that's a distinction. The other is that there's a moral component to sexuality that, um, you know, there's a choice, it's wrong, it's, it's a sin, it's in the Bible, you know, and so... <laughs> There's, you know, um, and that's for the home. Like, we want to talk to our kids about that. But, you know, like I said, some parents aren't going to support their kids. So if we rely on that to be the only time that kids have conversations about sexual and gender diversity, then we have a lot of struggling kids. Yeah. So, yeah, the moral pieces, I mean, our identities have been politicized and moralized. Mm -hmm. And um, I think we have to remind people that just who I am is not political it's become political you know who I am is not um, moral you know in in many cultures and communities but it is in in some and I think that's what um, makes this conversation a little trickier in schools too Um, you you were saying that you know you're born with like a racial or ethnic identity and you don't 
you know, if you're around a bunch of white people, like you're not going to become white. Right. <laughs> um, you know, there's no chance of that. Yeah. And I think with queerness, there's always a chance of that. Huh. And in some ways, pe- people know that and are afraid of that. Like if, the, if you're around it, you know, this mm-hmm. whole idea that like we're recruiting. Yeah. <laughs> and I make this joke like just the smart ones. Right. <laughs> like, you know, but, um, yeah. um, you know, but this idea that we could actually recruit, yeah. um, that's a different conversation, you know, that's different. And I think it speaks to what's, what's true about sexuality and gender is that it's much more complex than we think it is. Mm-hmm. And we've, we've binaried it and we, you're either this or you're that. Um, and that's it. And these are the choices that you have. And that's just not, it's just not what we know about gender. And it's yeah. not what we know about sexuality. And um, on some level, when people are afraid for their kids to talk about or have these conversations, it's like they're almost acknowledging that we're much more fluid than, yeah. than we've been set up to, mm-hmm. than we've been understood to be. And that scares people. How do you set up those or look for the moments then to have conversations that say we may not knowing that the culture is saying we're binary do you know what i mean like how do you get to a point where you introduce kids who are getting that message from all over the place Mm -hmm. that that may not be or that is not true i mean i i'm thinking of um like a kindergarten class that Mm -hmm. we we work with a lot of teachers um, we do research with a lot of teachers too and so we'll go in in and observe them like film them because a lot of people want to know what does this look like and so we're creating a video archive of our teachers like two or three minute clips of like this is what it looks like to read I am jazz or this is what it looks like to read and tango makes three like you know Mm -hmm. kids books and um, there's this little video that we use it's a YouTube video and it's called something like uh, Riley on marketing Mm -hmm. it's like a five-year-old and she's in a toy aisle and she's like having a tantrum about how all the girls' stuff is pink. <laughs> and she's like, why do the girls have to have pink stuff and the boys have to have all the different colored stuff? You know, she's like really <laughs> upset. And we use that in our facilitations to kind of talk about gender as a social construction and how these rules of the binary really affect all kids. And they affect us. I mean, they affect me today. Right. You know, so, <laughs> And so we use that. And um, our teachers use it too. And so they'll they'll you know, what is Riley getting at here? You know, and they'll say, you know, they'll kind of call up these like pink and blue rules. And well, what do we think about those? You know, well, um, how many, you know, I mean, it, and it's still bi- a binary conversation. So, but um, it's like, so how many boys like to, um, you know, dress up? And you'll have, you know, boys raise their hand. I like to, wait a minute, that's not fair. And, you know, I like to play soccer and I'm a girl and they, they disrupt it. Uh-huh. You know, and so th- you, it's not a lot of um, like telling, you know, um, kids like, look, this binary is this made up thing. Mm-hmm. It's showing. It's getting them. It's um, getting them to engage in their world, their kindergarten world, and to kind of um, disrupt some of, you know, these like norms that we just take for granted. But they 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 disrupt them. They know. They're like yeah. that's not fair. <laughs> you know, that you know so. Um, that's yeah. an example. So there's not so much, it's not so much pressure to lecture a kid to a point where they have an understanding. They can get it, or, or they... The, yeah, and I mean, the earlier you start, mm-hmm. you know, but I think without these conversations from the beginning, 
you know, kids, th those ideas of what counts as normal are being solidified. Yeah. And if they're not challenged to think differently, then um, the harder it gets, you know, to, we like to know, we like to be certain mm -hmm. <laughs> in this world that <laughs> we've really uh, certain to death. But um, yeah, so I think the, the earlier you have conversations with, with kids, and we're not telling them what to think. If you're a girl and you like pink, and you want to wear princess outfits, awesome. We're not saying disrupt yourself. <laughs> We're saying you don't have to do that. Yeah. I was struck by that distinction. Uh, for our kids who maybe are very, you know, our girls who are very girly, mm -hmm. boys who are very boyish, right. that, that that's okay too. Right. It just doesn't have to be called girlish and boyish. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's the, the constructed piece. Yes. You know, I mean, we have, you know, I think about, like, I have a gender identity. I've had it my whole life. I have no idea how to name it. And the more I do this work, the less sure I am. Yeah. You know, but it's not, you know, if I had to describe, I have to describe it in terms of masculinity and femininity because that's how we describe it. Mm -hmm. But that's not real. Like, yeah. me wearing this outfit is not like a masculine outfit. Uh -huh. It's just a Bethy outfit. Right. You know, <laughs> but we've, we've, the language that we have, even when we're trying to be disruptive, mm -hmm. it's still this language that we have. And so calling attention to that, you know, um, I think is important too, to, you know, as we move forward in this yeah. world. Have you heard kids um, have a vocabulary that's better or different around that? Or is there an emerging? Um... Yeah, I mean, we, Yes, um, and we really see you know, the teachers who we work with, a lot of them we've worked with for you know, four or five years now, and their students, um, yeah. I mean, they're the language, the thinking, the exploring, you know, and um, it's, it's pretty beautiful to see, yeah. you know. Um, and it just opens space, mm -hmm. you know, and, um, but they're having those conversations, and they're having them in constructive ways. Yeah. You know, and, and some kids still in those classrooms are like, this is wrong. Mm -hmm. Boys have to do this or two girls can't get married, yeah. you know, and, and um, it's like, you know, there are lots of different ways to have a family and actually girls can get married, <laughs> you know, but you're not saying, you're not putting like it's right or wrong. You're not saying like it's the best to be gay. I mean, even though it's pretty clear, <laughs> but like, you know, you're not, you're not putting a value. We're not telling what ki kids what to believe. And I think parents who push back on this work and want to do it at home and you know that yeah. kind of thing it's like we're not this isn't about belief mm -hmm. this is about identity and we have families we have students in our schools that are part of the LGBTQ plus community all we're saying is that they exist mm -hmm. it's our job as public educators to recognize their existence and that's what we're doing that's what the work is mm -hmm. um, it's not telling kids what's right or wrong or what's that's not even like I said in the we're not moralizing this. It's not moral. Uh -huh. It's how people live in the world, and they live in our schools. Right. So. Your work is so action-oriented, and you're making a change in the schools, mm -hmm. and I pick up on a lot of excitement around the work that you're doing. Mm -hmm. um, and so it, it wasn't surprising to me that you identify action mm -hmm. as being one of your areas of focus. And, and I wonder what that looks like. Is there a way that you know, people outside of the school district, maybe outside of where you're working in, take action for justice on these issues? 
Yeah, I mean, we I have I feel like we have a very rich um, community organization mm-hmm. hub. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, we have Out Boulder County, we have Queer Asterix, we have um, uh, Oasis in Boulder County, we have One Colorado, we have Rainbow mm-hmm. Alley, we have all these, you know, folks who are doing work to really take action and um, and uh, collaborating with organizations like Cirque. So yeah, I think there's a lot of work happening. I think we what distinguishes our work a little bit um, differently from organizations who are queer focused is that we don't usually work with a lot of queer. That's not our clientele. Like uh-huh. our clientele is a lot of straight and cis people. Yeah. Which um, you know our number one priority is to support educators. Like that, those are our favorite people. We were both middle and high school teachers for a collective like 25 years before we got our PhDs, and so our audience usually is, you know, we have maybe a different audience than mm-hmm. organizations focused on supporting queer folks. Is there anything that we should make sure that we... I mean, I think we can tell kids as much as we want, like, what to do and how to think and to be equity-minded and to consider anti-oppression. And mm-hmm. But I think they, they really learn by the examples that we set. You know, and so I think being in spaces, showing up to um, outboulders, uh you know, to pride, you know, being around people that where you're in the minority. You know, a lot of times for, for um, marginalized communities, we have to find spaces where we can be in the majority, you know, yeah. and for the queer community, bars have been those places. And, you know, I think of Orlando and what happened there. And that's like our church, you know, and but we have to find those spaces. And I think, you know, if you walk around the world in and feel like you belong pretty much everywhere mm-hmm. um, <laughs> because of your racial identity, how you're read, um, you know, put yourself in places where you feel uncomfortable and don't take up too much space and make it about you. <laughs> you know, just be uncomfortable, be curious, teach your kids to do that too. And, you know, because those spaces are sacred. Thanks so much for listening, and a special thanks to Bethy for taking the time to talk with me. I'll put the resources that Bethy referred to, as well as some children's books and articles up on my blog at ucclongmont.org. Just click on the Faith and Families link. I hope that these are helpful tools for you. If there's more that you'd like to hear about, feel free to contact me. Until next time.